We are in week eight, which I thought we were going to be done with the series by week six, okay? I divided it into six-week series, which is normally the length we go for a series. Usually that's about how much you guys can take, but um, I've chosen to stretch this out because there's just too much stuff, and I, I hate just... I'm going to fly through one, this one chapter today. These are, these are things that whole volumes have been written on just certain sections of the book of Revelation. But we will kind of take this as we go and kind of divide it in sections. Today's section is going to be a little rougher than normal that we've been through so far. This is going to push the envelope on some because it's getting into the nitty-gritty of things of the book of Revelation. And as we started this, we said from the very beginning, and we reiterate always that, guys, the purpose of Revelation is not to inform you. It's not just so you can know stuff. It is meant to change us. It is meant to, if this is all true, if this is all going to happen, shouldn't that affect how we live? Shouldn't that affect on what we do and who we talk to and how urgent the message is to for that to get across if these things are going to happen and if they are true. We've also said that there's a blessing. There is a blessing. Now, you'll be wondering about that blessing after reading today, probably, but because there's some hard stuff here, and it's only going to get worse as we go. We're going to get a preview of things to come today. Um, We've talked about that, that question, do I know and adore the awesome, glorious, powerful Jesus portrayed in the Bible, or have I adopted a culturally appropriate, mild-mannered, friendly Jesus of my own imagination, a user-friendly Jesus? This is going to push that today, because you're going to be given an image of Jesus that you probably are not going to hang in your kid's bedroom of who Jesus is. Um, we said that Jesus had to be the lion of judgment and also the king of glory because he was the, the lamb of God who took, takes away the sins of the world. All three of those are who Jesus is. And we talked about, are you radiant and ready or are you raptured and removed? If you think you're going to get a front row seat up in heaven watching this, then you're going to prepare differently. But if you're going to go through this, then you are going to prepare differently as we walk through this. We've talked in week four that God will exercise restraint, allowing room for repentance and salvation. That window of salvation is here, but I'm going to tell you right now, that window is quickly closing. We said in week five, no matter what the world looks like today, no matter how out of control things appear tomorrow, God wins in the end. And it's a little crazy right now. This week, it's really crazy of everything. Someone's saying this, and this is going to happen, this is going to happen. I, I'm not worried about any of it. God's in control. I'm just more worried, you know, do I have my creamer in the morning? Is my coffee good? Um, no, I worry about other things. We said in week six that Satan's hatred is relentless. It's not going to stop. Never going to stop. But we also said God's gifts, God's call, God's promises are irrevocable. Last week we hit the main idea, and it's going to continue through a couple of weeks here, that the day of the Lord is the most glorious time and the most horrifying time in all of human history. And we'll see that today for sure. Because chapter 14 is the coming attraction. One thing I miss about the, the whole shutdown of things, 
I haven't gone to a movie in 10 months. All right. I love going to the theater. I, I love the big screen. I get there early for the popcorn, and you get the box because you get the where I can fill up the popcorn again, and then you fill up the boxes with the popcorn, and then go back and get another bag because you don't want to get up out of the theater. I don't know, that's, that's our routine. And I, I love it when they went to the chairs like that. I have that chair at home. It's not the same. I have a good-sized TV. It's not the same in watching a movie because I love getting there early enough where I see coming soon to theaters. I love seeing those things. I love seeing what's coming. I love to say, oh, I'm spending another $50, $60 on that. I mean, I, I, you start, and then you're going to, then you look at one and you go, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't even watch that free on Netflix. All right. I mean, you make your decisions based on the coming attraction. It's, you get that preview. They want to hook you in. They get you to come back. Revelation 14 is this. It's kind of set in the middle of everything. And it's going to knit the two halves together. You're going to see things that are coming, not that have happened yet. In your notes, there's a, uh, on, the, on the back side, it talks about how the Bible is it's not just one book. It's 66 books. And it's divided into sections. And so, I mean, there's law, there's the epistles, there are a lot of things. But there's two sections. One would be considered the historical books. And one could be considered the books of prophecy. The historical books, Exes, Judges, Kings, Acts, that type of thing, that tell things in chronological order. The prophetic books, like Jeremiah, Daniel, Zechariah, Revelation, they tell things, but they're not really keyed on being chronologically in order because they'll jump around to different things. And Revelation 14 is that. It's going to jump to the end, and it's going to jump... In the middle, it's going to be jumping around so it's not stuck in that. Because some people read it, wait a minute, this is happening, then it takes place again. This is a preview of things to come. And it's going to put it inside. It's, it's a journey that we're going to walk through, and we're going to see what's going to take place in the book of Revelation. Because at Revelation 13, we left it at the Antichrist and the false prophet, the shut-up shop. They're, they're ruling and reigning. Jerusalem has been captured. The abomination of desolation has been set up. Um, saints who are killed and some are in prison, the mark of the beast. And that's why when we read Revelation 14.1, it says, but this is coming. Verse 1 says this. And then I looked. And before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him 144,000 who had his name, had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now we heard the 144,000s at the beginning of the tribulation time. So this is the 12,000 Jews from each tribe of the nation of Israel that is there. So you have this, but you have Jesus, the picture of Jesus that he is standing on Mount Zion. He's standing on the mountain. Now Mount Zion, if you have the old city wall of Jerusalem, it's the mountain right outside. It's the Mount of Olives is Mount Zion. And if you kind of read where this goes, Acts 1-9, when Jesus ascended up to heaven, he ascended on Mount Zion, the Mount of Olives. And he was told by the angels, the angels are looking at the disciples because the disciples are going, uh, what happened? He's, uh, he's gone. Hey, he's coming back in the same way and in the same place. So this is at the end. This is Jesus' triumphant return, and he's standing on Mount Zion. If you remember the beast that came out of the ocean, he was standing on sand. 
Jesus is standing on the mountain. Again, it's, it's meant to draw you visually into this story. And so you have the 144,000 who've just, now this is at the end of the tribulation period. 144,000 began and went through the entire tribulation, all seven years. No one died. No one was hurt. No one was injured. And I love that fact because it didn't say, uh, at the end, 143,999. 144,000, the same number he started with. Guys, hopefully that would bring some encouragement today because he doesn't lose one. John 6.39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. John 10, 27, 28. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can what? Snatch. If you're a believer in Christ here, guys, that's what you need to hold on to. That truth is the thing that just no one can take me. 144,000 just went hell, went through hell on earth, and not one of them, not a comet, not a flood, not a boils, not, not all those things that you saw happen in the previous chapter didn't touch a one of them. So what do you think he's going to do for you? 104,000 Jews. These Jews were evangelists. That's what they're doing. They're going through this whole tribulation. They're sharing Jesus, and Jews and Gentiles both are during this time. Those are the martyrs that we keep reading about. Uh, they're the martyrs that, that suffer through this. So they're going to be people who actually live through the tribulation period, who are Christians, who make it through to the end, and that's where this millennial thousand-year reign that we read at the end of the book of Revelation, another sermon unto itself, and those 144,000 Jews who made it through, they'll be the preachers during that time. Well, why would we need preachers during that time? Because those people who made it through, they're going to have babies. They're going to have kids. And some of them are going to choose not to follow Jesus, which boggles my mind. Jesus is sitting on the throne over there. I don't believe in you. I don't believe in you. And they will rise up against, and that's a whole other sermon unto itself. And so these Jews make it through. And if they made it through that, guess what? You'll make it through whatever you're going through right now. I promise you that. Verse 2 says... And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of a harpist playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So these 144,000, they're the only ones singing. They're the only ones that know there's a song. Now, the biggest stadium in the world is in North Korea. And this, this thing sits 150,000 people. Now, I've been, can you imagine 144,000 in that singing? And they're all men. Now, I've been to Promise Keepers event, and that's usually one of the most powerful things about Promise Keepers, is that you got a stadium full of 50,000, 60,000 men singing loud. Because they're not sitting in church. They're not with their wives or their kids. They're just with a bunch of dudes, and they sing. And I'm telling you, it is, 
I get goosebumps even talking about it. But here, a lot of you guys, I mean, my dad would just lip them because you don't want to hear me sing out loud, son. That would be a bad thing. But you get a bunch of men together, they don't care. They're just belting it. And I mean, the sound of this. And here's 144,000 singing the song. As one writer put it, their voices were loud and melodious and beautiful. And it was just their song. And it says in verse 4 that these are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouth. They were blameless. Charles Swindoll, great preacher, said it this way. They are saved, sealed, sanctified, spotless saints. I love that. You know why I love that? It's because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's you too. You've been saved. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're sanctified, set apart as holy before God, and spotless. You you don't know. These guys weren't sinless guys. These guys weren't born virgins and never sinned, and they were not perfect. But they were spotless because their sins had been forgiven. And when I stand before Jesus someday, I'm going to be blameless and spotless because my sins have all been dealt with. That's the truth here. That's the truth about these guys. And, and when it says there, they didn't defile themselves with women like women are evil. It's not, they, sex bad. No, sex is good. Thank God for that. I mean, they got, he's not saying it. They just said, we're not going to defile ourselves with women because this is a tribulation time. This is hell breaking on earth. You don't want to be married during this time. You read Jeremiah. Jeremiah was told not to marry because of the times that were coming. And even Paul says, guys, I'd rather you stay single than get married. Not because he says, oh, you know, the headaches of being married. No. If you get married, then you're, now your devotion is split. Now you have a wife to take care of. If you get kids, then they got to be taken care of. You can't devote, 20, devote 24-7 to the kingdom of God like you could if you just stayed single. So this is not bagging marriage. It's not bagging women. It just said they chose not to, to have sex. That was their, their, their choice. And, and that's you know, not that they were ever didn't even have sex. It doesn't even imply that, that they were, they were virgins. Only the virgins were picked. It just once they made that commitment to Christ, they had one sole focus, and that was to spread the word of God to the world. And that's what they did. I love the fact that it says here, they followed the lamb wherever he goes. Let me stop here. Uh, I think we're good at accepting the lamb. I don't know how good we are at following. Because the word following implies you're going somewhere. I think many of us tend to, we accept Jesus and then we ask Jesus to come along with us. You see what I'm saying? We pray for Jesus to bless our plans. Or have we gone to Jesus, what do you want my plans to be? I'm not saying they can both agree. They can many times. I think we do a lot better at accepting that he forgives my sins than following where he's telling me to go. John 8, 12 says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Why? Because he's the light in front of me. Now I know where I'm going. If I'm asking him to follow me, it's pretty dark. 
Following means that we're going somewhere. So the question is, where is Jesus taking you today? I mean, I know it's just a word, but camp out on that word. Anytime Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, he got up and they went with him. Where is Jesus taking us, guys? Where are we walking? Where are we going? In verse 6, it starts the proclamation of three angels. And these three angels, one preaches the gospel, one pronounces judgment, and the third brings damnation. And this is where it gets a little scary. And it's meant to. Again, this is a preview of things to come, things that haven't happened yet. But they're going to. Verse 6 says, And I saw another angel flying in midair. Midair means he was at the highest point. Everybody could see him. And he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those on the earth, every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God, and I will give him give him glory and give him glory because the hour of judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the spring of water. Because who was the world worshiping at the time? The Antichrist, the devil. Worship him. And they're, I mean, it's claiming this eternal gospel. Guys, the gospel is eternal. The message doesn't change. How we deliver the message may the means by which we deliver the message may change. The message does not change. Everyone wants to change it because they don't like what it says or implies. It doesn't change just how we deliver it. Some of you have been in church all your life. No, and church has gone through transition, but hopefully the gospel message has been the same. It hasn't changed. It's universal in scope. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue. It's meant for everybody to hear the truth. And the truth is they're pulling them to this focus of the living God. Fear God. Worship him. Change your allegiance. That's what repentance is. I'm going this. I've been aligned this way. I'm changing that. I'm turning, and I'm going this direction now. To God who created everything that exists on the face of the earth when they were all giving glory to the, to the devil. The second angel is found in verse 8. It says, a second angel followed and said, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. First time we see Babylon in the Bible is in the book of Genesis. That's where we get the Tower of Babel. It's where the pride of man was exposed. It's the great city that symbolized everything opposed to God. We can do it our own way. We don't need you, God. And when you see something repeated, it's for emphasis. It wasn't that, hey, Babylon's going to fall. No, fallen. Fallen is Babylon. And we'll see that in the coming chapters where the chapters will focus itself on just Babylon and what the great Babylon is. The third angel in verse 9, it says, A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, so all could hear again, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives the ma his, ma his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. 
he'll be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of his holy angels and of the Lamb. Guys, this is where damnation is taking place. I mean, again, we've talked about the day of the Lord. It's the most glorious time. This is the most horrifying time. This is announcing those who worship the beast, those who take the mark's fate is sealed. The consequences are severe here. You say, well, I mean, God wouldn't do that. God is love. Yes, he is. But God is just. Did you catch this part? The wine of God's fury, his anger. God can be angry, which has been pulled full strength. It's not, it's not diluted into a cup of wrath. Guys, this is where it's all now coming down. It's all pouring out. No longer is there trace of compassion in God. Enough is enough. That day is coming. It hasn't come yet. God still has his window open. That day will come where that window is shut. There is no opportunity for repentance. And the consequences are dire because it says they're tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels. Fire and brimstone is used here. Verse 11, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast at the image or for any who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Guys, hell is eternal. This is not a, well, you only did this many sins, so you've got to spend so much time in hell. Guys, this is not how it works. Choices are made, and based on those choices are consequences of that. And one of the, you take the mark, and this, this is part of the consequence. You've sworn your allegiance to the beast. You've sworn your allegiance to the devil himself. And there are consequences to that. Well, what about the holy God? What about, guys, God is holy. That's why he has to judge it. And when it said patient endurance, we talked about the, the revelations about endurance, not escape. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who are going through this time. Can you imagine you're a believer in Christ going through this horrific time? You're going to need patient endurance because some people will survive, believe it or not, that whole tribulation time. But I thought there, I go, this is going to require patient endurance on our part too. Who are taking, looking at it from distance. Because we'll ask questions like, this can't be. Where's God's compassion? Where is God's love? Where, and then you lose a lot of people. They don't want to hear about. They want to hear about God's love. They don't want to hear about God's righteousness and judgment. They don't want to hear about consequences, because they want to make the fictitious God in their brain that God is all about love and forgiveness. He is, but there's going to come a time where He says, "Enough." That's when it talks about a night, and He's mean that in Peter. He's going to come, and his justice will be swift for sure. Verse 13 says, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write down, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. You don't hear, usually hear, I'm blessed if I die. We want to avoid death at all costs. We'll do anything to avoid death. Let's take a look around now, right? God says, will you die in the Lord? 
You die serving him and following him, blessed are you. That's why Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you've helped his people continue to help them. He's going to remember those things. Everyone won't. I read the obituary every day, making sure I'm not in there. But I, I, I read it every day just to, just to see what people say about them. And it's sad that, I don't know, it costs money to write. And you can tell some people have a lot of money. They write, you know, pay a paper in there. And others, there's just a paragraph. But guys, I've done too many services and sat down with families to plan a service when the family looks at me and says, I've got nothing to say. How horrible is that? Get down to the end of your life and there's nothing no one wants to say about you. The rest of chapter 14 is going to be vividly picturing the final judgment. And it's going to use image of a grain harvest and a grape harvest in the process here. Verse 14 says, I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like the son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Is that the Jesus you got pictured? <laughs> Again, is this the Jesus you want to put in your kid's room? Hey, there's your Jesus. Ah, sickle, crown, coming in the white cloud. But this is the Jesus of the Bible, guys. This is the Jesus who comes on a horse with a sword drawn and his, and his gown is dipped in blood. This is the Jesus. Not the Solomon painting Jesus that everyone has, you know, either has a hat in their house or you've seen before. This is Jesus with a sickle in his hand because it's time to judge. That's why, again, the day of the Lord, it's the most glorious and most horrifying time. Verse 15 says, Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, Take your sickle and reap. Because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And this word ripe means overripe, overdone, dried out. So he was seated, he who was sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth harvested. Again, Jesus says, Verse 17, another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who was in charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Now if you remember what the altar was, who was under the altar up in heaven were the martyrs, those who have died for the faith, who are crying out beforehand, when are you going to answer our prayer? When are you going to pay back those who have done these horrible things? Payback. The judge has come. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grape from the earth into the vine because its grapes are ripe. Again, over food. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathering its grapes and threw them into the great wine press of God's wrath. Now, guys, this is not literally God's going to make some wine here. This is very symbolic way to say that those who are on the earth, and this is specifically talking about Armageddon, the battle, where the sickle will be flung over and all those people who have come to fight against God himself will be slaughtered, put in the wine press 
and pressed. And if you've ever seen what a wine press does, it crushes. That is the picture here. It crushes in God, wine's, God's wine press. Throughout Lamentations, Isaiah, Joel talks about God's wrath as being a wine press. They were trampled, it says, the wine press outside the city. And not juice flowed out. Blood flows out of the press. Rising as high as a horse's bridle. Guys, that's four foot. And for a distance of 1,400 steps, that's over 200 miles. This is meant to be this horrific picture of judgment. And it is about Armageddon, but it, it, it's, it's a slaughter. It's not a battle. I mean, there's no fighting like we see in Lord of the Rings or something like that, the brave heart. That's not what was going on. Jesus comes down, and he's got, you know, the saints, it says, it's right behind him. Woohoo! We don't get to do anything because Jesus goes, bam, done. The results are final and catastrophic. And it's meant to put a picture in your brain of, it's going to happen. That's why Hebrews... 1031 says, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, especially a God that you have come to know as that, said, no, I will not follow you, no matter what you say. Now, this hasn't taken place yet. That's the good news. Good news that it hadn't happened yet, and it's a warning to us that if this is true, guys, if this is going to happen, how should that change how we live? If that's going to happen. I mean, the 144,000 were dedicated, sealed, ready to go, sent out to deliver the gospel. The same is true of us. We, are, we have been saved. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have sanctified, set apart, holy. We are spotless. We stand blameless before the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been given the same message to give out. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we can quote that verse up and down, left and right. But when was the last time you actually told someone about Jesus Christ in your ear? My wife and I were talking about this the other night, about Facebook and all Twitter and all that stuff. Here's the danger, guys. And even when they're, wow, they're going to, we may get thrown off Facebook at any time. Last week we were thrown off because we used the video. But I'll say something. I'll be like, no, nope. they'll just throw us off. You may say something on your Facebook. No, nope, thrown off. Here's the deal. We've become so comfortable by doing this and not talking to people, not having a conversation, not going out to lunch. That's sitting in a park, four foot apart. I don't care what it is, six foot. I, we have become so comfortable of doing this that we've lost the, I think we're losing the ability to have eye-to-eye -eye conversation. And it's a lot easier to do this than to do this. Because I can send a tweet, hey, I've been thinking about praying for you. How are you doing with that Jesus thing? I don't have to look at him. I, 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 you know, I, even if, I, if I'm just tweeting or, or texting, whatever. 
I'm not saying that's bad, guys. We can take advantage of that, but we're dependent upon that. When was the last time you had a conversation with someone about where they were at with God? Well, that's one thing I missed. I went to Stogie's this last week just to sit to see who would show up. I wasn't going to read. I'm just going to sit there, smoke a cigar, and see who sits down. And I had three great conversations with people. God, help me do this, do this. Guy sits down. He's in this industry. Great conversation. Served in the military. Hey, man, I'm reading this book right now about the, oh, dude, that sounds like an awesome book. Open door. That's, well, that's Tim. That's you. You know how to do that. Guys, I'd not, I, I didn't always know how to do that. I just started doing it. And it got easier, and I got better at it. I, I just, it, Yeah, it's part of my gifting. I get that. That might not be your gift. But that doesn't say, he didn't say, some of you go out and do it. He said, all you go out. When was the last time? Because if this is true, guys, how many of our friends or family will be on the wrong side of this? What this tells us is God's grace. God gives us the freedom in his grace to choose righteousness. It's our choice. 144,000 chose Jesus. Choice is given to us as well. This also teaches us God's justice holds every person accountable, guys. Every person, you and I. There's going to be a day of a divine examination before the Lord. It is coming. And when I stand before God, I'm not going to give an account for my sin because He took care of that at the cross. But I will give account for what I did with my time, with my talents, with, the t- with what gifts He has given me. I will be held accountable for that. That day's coming for all of us. The day of the Lord is going to be a most glorious time. A horrifying time in human history. Will I be radiant and ready? Will you be radiant and ready? Father in heaven, I thank you for today. I thank you that we can meet here in this For those that are here, those who are online, Father God, may we ask those questions. We have been saved. We have been sealed. We have been sanctified. We stand spotless before you because you forgave each one of those things. But you've also sent us out. This is true, and this is how things are going to come down. This is just not a story, bedtime story you want to scare your kids with. If this is true, then how should we live then? Knowing full well that you're going to call everyone to account eventually. What is my part to play in that? Father, I want to be radiant. Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org.